Well, you know, they say the average length of the country is about 200 years before it has That's to That's what Jefferson said, yeah. A good democracy will last that long before it feeds on itself. Now, if you come back into contemporary time, Chesterton said, be careful of which fence you drop if you didn't ask yourself why it was up there in the first place. Yes. And Muggeridge said, there is no new news. It's just old news happening to new people. Maybe we do need to learn something from the Brits. Well, and that was Brexit. <laughs> well, and, and look at the, the, the whole idea. I mean, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, we repeat the same cycles again and again. And it, part of it's about understanding, like you said, our foundation. Where do we come from? Right. The minute we lose sight of that, uh, we're only expected to go back and do it again. But we, we also see, and this part I haven't figured out yet, um, Normally when you see someone who is practicing the art of deception, if you study them long enough, you can see their end game. Mm -hmm. You can see what it is that they, what they set about. And I can look in the biggest picture and say, the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Mm -hmm. And that game, that tactic, is being played out again and again and again and again, but the tools are different every time, and the players are different every time. Yeah. So regardless of the political season, regardless, regardless of who's in charge or, or who's holding the title at this moment, it seems like they're being used as pawns in that particular mm -hmm. tactic or game. The part that boggles my mind, though, is that as I watch that process, each one of them seems to have their own little agenda within that long-range game, and it seems hard to me to figure out what their own agenda is. Well, uh, you know, I've studied philosophy, I'm not a philosopher, but I always tell people this, that in my own layman's terms, narcissism was widely accepted, uh, whether it was East or West, we had narcissists all over the world, and a narcissist basically said, I, I, I deserve to be heard, I deserve to be loved, I deserve to be accepted, it was me, myself, and I. We have now reached a stage in the, on, on the leadership spectrum, especially in the political side of megalomania. Megalomania basically is, not only do I deserve to be heard, I deserve to not let you be heard. <laughs> wow, that's a great, that's a great truth. And, and you see a lot of that. I mean, it, but it, it doesn't matter if they're 35 and serving in politics or three years old. It's the same thing. I'm just going to keep screaming until you stop correcting me. Yeah. And the, the end destiny of that is never a good thing. No. And uh, again, you know, uh, you said John Maxwell is one of uh, the people who influenced you, influenced me tremendously. But he always has said leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Yes. And each person will directly or indirectly influence 10,000 people in their lifetime. So every day when I wake up, I look in the mirror and I always say, you know, Mr. Ziegler's three foundational truths was look up, lean on, stand on. John Maxwell always would talk about influence. And I would say, who today am I going to influence in a positive way? Yeah. Now, whether it's the toll tag collector, toll booth collector, or whether it's the person at the on-the-go grocery store where you get your coffee, doesn't really matter. Humanity, our connection one to another, has just got to be that. And at the end of the day, it'll sort itself out. But I think we've gotten so far away from some of these very basic, simple truths. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to interview a friend of mine later on, Brian Flanagan. Well, I mean, you know, I remember the effort he went through early in my sales career to just make sure that I was taken care of. The wow. things he did to allow me to continue to have a job, nobody would do today. Wow. <laughs> you know, I was standing in line this morning to get my coffee, and there was a gentleman in front of me. I was in my shorts and T-shirt because I'd been working in the yard, and he had on his nice dress shoes and, and stuff, and I said, so where'd you go to church today? Mm -hmm. And he turned around and looked at me with the brightest grin on his face. He's a brand new pastor. He'd never, never been in that role before. And just the conversation that we started, we talked about this program and, and the ideas that we were able to share. And he asked me, he said, so 
I'm just about to finish my John Maxwell certification and I'm thinking about going on mission trips. What are your thoughts on that? And I said, well, I'm a founding member of the John Maxwell team. I was one of the first 100. And it was a huge investment for me and it was a huge sacrifice for my family. Sure. But when it comes to mission trips, um, this is gonna sound really weird. There are a lot of people out there washing feet and changing shoes and those are phenomenal things. But I'm gonna go one step further than that. I love the way John Maxwell says it. It's plastered on the side of my Suburban. Lead leaders. Mm -hmm. Because we can influence one at a time. Give a man to fish, throw sure. the starfish back. But it's when we impact culture. It's when we look at it. I just got back from a trip to the Congo. It was a blessed opportunity for me to go down there with a group called the Asalga. And we had 50 government leaders from 30 different political parties in one room. And we spent a week training them in leadership. And the comments that we got back when we left were, it's so simple. And I said, it is. Leadership is principle. It's like a spoon. Mm -hmm. It doesn't care who's using it. It still serves as a spoon. But the wrong heart can gouge an eye out with it just as easily as scoop ice cream with it. And when you understand that about leadership as a tool, you'll understand that a 14-year-old drug dealer and the president of the nation have the same tools in their tool belt. It's just about how you use them. But when we look at global impact, when we look at influence, we look at foundation and leaning and lifting up, we've got to realize that whether it's the guy in the toll booth sure. or the leader of another nation, our opportunity to impact and influence is not just an opportunity, it is a responsibility. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, part, part of this, this growth journey, part of this narrative of, uh, you know, the whole leadership construct. I go to India about five times a year and then we'll do two other countries as part of my own mandate with my own foundation. Next year I'll have the privilege of being in Sri Lanka, being in Kenya, but as I've traveled the world, people always seem to want the same things. They, they just want to be a little better than they were yesterday. They want to go a little further away and they want to leave a little more behind. It's not that complicated. But what we do is we have made it complicated and I think for one very simple reason, or we have made it complicated so that we will always have an excuse. If we admit to yourself something as simple, we forfeit the right to complain. Wow. Say that again. We have made statement. it complicated so that when we fail, not if, we can blame the government, the system, the product, the process, or the protocol. By admitting to yourself something is easy, you forfeit the right to complain. And, and it really is, you know, it's funny because we, we both mentioned John Maxwell. I love one of the things he says. I, people come up to him after a presentation and they'll say, um, I love what you do, I want to do what you do. And I'm sure you hear exactly the same thing, having traveled around the world and spoken on greatest stages. Um, before you even get to the green room, they're like, oh, I want to do what you do. And, and John says the same thing every time. He's like, are you willing to do what I did mm -hmm. so that you can do what, I can do what I do? And most people look at that and think, well, you're just an overnight success. I didn't know who you were you know, six months ago. But I think it was John himself who said, and maybe it may have been his father, who said every overnight success I've ever seen took 20 years to get there. Yeah, I tell people that because Mr. Ziegler asked me to make him that promise when I said, I want to do what you do. He said, are you willing to be a 10-year overnight success? <laughs> That's very good. I remember the very first uh, motivational speaker that I had a chance to have anywhere near a personal relationship with was Brian Dodge, who probably doesn't even remember sure. me. Um, but he came and I spoke know Brian, at yeah. <laughs> I don't know him. Uh, I follow him on Facebook. But uh, he came and spoke at a DJ conference. Yeah. And I walked up to him after and I said, I feel like God's given me a gift to communicate. And I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing for my life. And this was probably 2009 or so. And I said, I, would, you, would you train me? Would you mentor me? And Brian said, um, yes. if you will write me a five-page handwritten letter why you think I should waste my time with you. Hmm. 
And so I went home and I thought, that's the stupidest thing. We have email. Why would I, why would I write a five-page letter? That's just dumb. Never did. Never wrote the letter. Mm. To this day, I haven't written the letter. After becoming a Maxwell coach, though, I've had many people come to me and they'll say things like, help me write a speech that sells. And I say, that, that's a backfire ammunition from the beginning. Because the speech that sells tells me your heart isn't in transformation. You're not here to change people's lives. You're here to make money. And I don't do that. That's not what I'm here for. But I do know now that the coach's greatest tool is a gauntlet. And like Zig asked you, are you willing to take 10 years to be an overnight success? Are you willing to put in the time? Because if you're not, I don't have time to waste sure. leading right. someone who just wants to follow me around and, and hope that they get the crumbs of my success. Sure. But what I am willing to pour out my life to lead someone who is going to make the same investment and, and willing to lay down their life as well. Uh, the, the One of the things that uh, you mentioned about when I was, I remember a story with Mr. Ziegler, which was more probably something your viewers will enjoy. I remember asking him one time, you know, having come, having a business degree and watching him do his little, you know, homespun colloquialisms with sitting yes, next to him on a plane on a little barf bag. I said, Mr. Z, and I always call him Mr. Still do. We lost him four years ago. I said, Mr. Z, would it be better for this generation if we said it this way? He said, that's why I'm raising you, son. He says, they pay old Zig a lot of money to say it this way. <laughs> you can say yes. it your way. That's why I'm raising you. So all I do is I've taken his foundational principles and articulated it with a little philosophy, put a little apologetics, put a little logic, but brought back. So when I stand up in front of people, I just tell them, I'm a culture crusader. I'm an anthropological motivator. I connect the dots of human history. It's the same transformation story, but we're doing it in a Facebook era, speed, yeah. ease, and convenience. Yeah. It, it is amazing, and I, I tell it often when, I, when I'm doing the Facebook Live intro that um, the first couple of times we shot this show and we set up the Facebook camera behind the scenes, uh, we set it up with no microphone. Mm -hmm. It was literally behind the lights, behind the cameras. <laughs> you, you could barely see the people on the set. And I thought, you know, that's great marketing. I, I know enough about marketing that you can't lead a horse to water, uh, or you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink, but you can sure make him thirsty before he gets there. Sure. And so, you know, that's the reason the bar has the, the hot nuts right there where you might buy a beer, because if you eat those hot peanuts, you're going to want a beer or something to wash it down with. So I thought I'll put the camera back there and I'll tease people and they're going to want to watch. They're going to have to go watch it on the television because they can't see it clear here. And then a guy sent me a private message and he said, you know, I, I appreciate your show. I love the conversations. I love the content. I love the people. Uh, but I can't hear it. And I said, well, you'll have to watch it on TV. And he said, I can't. I'm in another country. Yeah. And the conviction that hit me at that moment, the Holy Spirit said, You've got to understand, I didn't call you just to the people in your local neighborhood, and I didn't call you to share this message with people five feet away or 20 feet away or who could watch on television. I called you to share this message until I'm ready to stop sharing it. Sure. And if we don't take that responsibility seriously and change that colloquialism and move it into a different platform and speak to people in a different way, um, John just recently revealed that in one of his trainings, he said it. The first time I was asked to speak, not in a church. They said to me, can you deliver this stuff and leave Jesus out? Hmm. And he said, sure. And I thought back to the first time I was asked to speak at GE. And they didn't tell me who the audience was until I was literally in the parking lot the day of, in the hotel. They'd asked me to do a two-hour training on, on attitude. And I pulled up in the parking lot, and I called the lady. I'm like, where do I need to park? Where do I unload my product? And she says... Oh, there's no place to put your product because we have too many people. We don't have any place to sell it. And I said, okay, well, then I guess that means you brought a check for the speaking fee. And she said, no, it wasn't in the budget. 
And the first reaction I had was, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> if I'm not getting paid this week and I'm not getting a chance to sell, I'm going. Right. And before I could say anything else, she said, oh, and the other question you ask about who's the audience. And then she told me it was the LGBTA group of the organization. I thought, okay, so I'm here to speak to that group of people about attitude, and I don't have a very good one. And I'm not going to make any money doing it. And the Holy Spirit said, you just open your mouth and I'll fill it. Mm -hmm. And so I went in and I did a presentation and they loved me. I probably, after that speaking engagement, had more photos with the people in the crowd, had more opportunity to connect with people on Facebook than any other engagement I've done, church or otherwise. And I thought, that seems really, really weird, but there's something about foundational truth that doesn't care about the audience. Yeah, it's um, the talking about audiences and trying to, you know, create these 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 manifest like you said having that right attitude to speak to the group that you're supposed to speak to in that particular moment i don't know how many instances i've had where I've, where there was no money and uh, brian will will validate when you talk to him i would go to the farthest parts of this world here's why the holy spirit only calls us the commandment is go make disciples of all nations after you love everybody. So 1A and 1B was love the Lord your God, love 1B was love your neighbor, and 2 was go make disciples of all nations. They just, that's very, that's straight, very straightforward. <laughs> Simple but the Judea, the Samaria, and the ends of the earth is where people get caught up, is where is my mission field? Yes. So you can be prepared for Judea, but God may take you to the ends of the earth. I did not want to go back to India five times a year. My last trip to India was my 55th trip to India. I left India <laughs> to come for a better life in America. Why would I go back 55 times, right? But really, last week we were in the Chick-fil-A headquarters and, uh, and to see the purpose of a godly organization that never changed and never wavered from Truett Cathy's days and his office is still the way it was and a billion dollar company now. The, a person, an MBA graduate, asked Dan Cathy this question. Why did you take away the coleslaw? That was the question. And I love his answer. He gave something paraphrased from Charles Stanley when he says, we as an organization have always been focused on marrying the mission but dating the method. Wow, I like that. Marrying so, the, the mission. mission. Our mission is to serve God. Dating the method. Coleslaw, <laughs> coleslaw was a method for a generation. Wow. And it's seasonal. Well, what, I mean, but I love the I love, concept, yeah. and I think sometimes we get caught up, and we get caught up in convoluted arguments about who we are and what we do. Um, one of the things I've always, people always ask me this question, do you, do, you know, is it easy being a speaker? Uh, I said, well, of all the things I do, I think this is the least qualified thing I get to do. <laughs> I said, it's the easiest thing in the world to make a speech. It's the hardest to be invited back. <laughs> to be relevant. Yeah. And I, that, I think that's one of the biggest challenges I see. There are a lot of people who stand up and they're like, I've got something to say. I have a message that you need to hear. And you're thinking, well, that, that's great that you have a message to hear. It's great that you're a great communicator. It's great that God has even put something on your heart. But let me ask this question. Will it impact the people in the audience? Is that what they came to hear? And, and let me go one step further because it's happened to me. I delivered a speech. I walked off the stage. I went, that sucked. Before I could get out the door, I was like, man, I have never bombed that bad in my life. And I got to the product team, it was the longest line I'd ever seen. And I thought, how does that happen? And an old guy, very old guy, walked up to the table and said, that was one of the best messages I've ever heard because it sounded to me like you forgot what you were saying and God took over. And I went, 
This is a, this is you know when, we, when Winston Churchill, a guy walks up to him and he says, Mr. Churchill, I just want to let you know I'm a self-made man. And Churchill says, son, you have just relieved God of an awesome responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's like asking so. John Maxwell, do you know any, are leaders born or are they made? And he said, I don't know any that weren't born. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Francis Congo, a friend of mine, said, well, before they're made, they have to be born. Yes. Very <laughs> so. good. I, we could probably talk for days. I really appreciate you being here. I'm, I'm humbled by your by your willingness to come no, and be a part pleasure. of your show. And uh, if you're ever in town again and, and have a time, I'd love to have you back again. Sure. Would love to do it. Chris, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you for watching. Notice that some of the most fascinating conversations you'll ever have. In fact, some of the most fascinating things that you'll learn are from unexpected conversations. Uh, interviews that people have had in various environments have sometimes triggered a conversation offline that really opens up some new ideas. And I'm sending out this invitation. Anybody who watches Leading Leaders podcast who either is or knows someone who is a, a leader in their own right, who's making an impact and adding value to people, I would love to have an opportunity just to chat with you about the possibility. Now, in the comments below this post, there will also be a link to go to the application for anyone who is in leadership to just kind of fill that out. Let's talk about why you feel like what you have to say would be of great benefit to this audience and to growing this audience, to growing influence for you and for Leading Leaders Podcast. So if that's something you're interested in, go to the comments, click on the link, and we would love to have a conversation with you. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. You know, there's some really tough concepts that come along with, um, well, just growing up. And it doesn't matter what part of the world you grow up in. It doesn't matter if it's a third world country or a first world country because... Some of the problems that are experienced by the human experience, they travel. Welcome to Leading Leaders Podcast. Five-minute videos, five days a week. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. I want you to know that I've, I've seen some of the same challenges in the wealthiest parts of the United States, in Europe, and in the Congo, in Cuba, and in Brazil. And one of the challenges that I've seen in all of those places 
is this pursuit of wealth and material things at all cost of anything else. I've seen a man who is determined to convince the world how fancy and elegant and powerful and influential he is. And if you can spell the word, just try, maybe talk to Siri and ask her, but if you can look up Sapur on YouTube, you will find that there's an entire collection of these people who gather, like maybe people at a car show or something of that nature would gather, to show off their uh, success, their achievements, their accomplishments, their acquisition of finer things. But you'll also find that some of these people have spent $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 a year on a wardrobe while their kids live in a grass hut. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making this up. I'm talking about people who live in a second world country, if you will, where most of the people have running water and most of the people have electricity, but some of them still live on the edge of town, at the edge of civilization, in a hut, in a basically framed up by a privacy fence hut. And yet they have twenty or thirty thousand dollars worth of clothes purchased every year. New shoes, new suits, new ties, new shirts. Because when they go out on the town, they want the world to believe that they are successful, that they have accomplished. Now, I do believe, and I, I like even the way that uh, Dr. T.D. Jakes says it. T.D. Jakes says, dress like a prospect and not like a suspect. And so I believe that the way that you dress says a lot about who you are. But I also believe that there's a level where the way you put on is really all about boosting your own ego. See, I've, I've heard some very wealthy people make some pretty profound comments. John Maxwell being one of those guys who has, you know, he started off as a preacher's son, basically. His father went into education. And so enormous wealth wasn't in his picture, in his own words. He said, I, I never expected to be super wealthy. I thought I'd be in the ministry all my life and live on basically nothing. But now that he has a lot of money, John Maxwell says it like this, I find that money gives you options. But don't let the destination disease fool you. Getting that money doesn't make you any differently. You won't be a different person because you have money. You become a different person on the way to getting money. And that, my friends, is a true measure of success. If your goal is to have that particular car, or to have that particular house, or to have that particular suit of clothes, or style of shoes, or piece of jewelry, then what you're going to find is when you get that thing, you're still just as empty as you were when you craved it. If, on the other hand, you become the kind of person for whom that thing is nice to have, but it's not the meaning of life, then the kind of person that you become on that journey is significantly more worthwhile than the Rolex watch, or the Lamborghini, or the 10,000 square foot house, or the $30,000 wardrobe. Trust me when I say I've been in various countries of different qualities all over the world, and everywhere there are humans who feel like if I could just get that next thing, my life would be all better. It's not true, my friends. But if you could become the kind of person 
that you're intended to be, you'll find those things, they often follow you. They come to those who are more focused on becoming the better person rather than pursuing the thing to begin with. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.